good morning again. Uh, those of you who are eating, please keep eating, as if I could stop you from eating. But uh, m most of us have, uh, we're on to our coffee now, or tea, so we're going to uh, continue with the program. First of all, um, before I call on, where are you, Cheryl? Stand up, Cheryl. There's, oh, she is standing up. Oh. That is a really old joke in Overeaters, because Cheryl is really old, too. We know it. As a matter of fact, uh, just a personal note, I think I was at Cheryl's, one of Cheryl's first meetings 33 years ago, and here we are. And the reason Cheryl and I are such good friends and why we've been friends for over 30 years is that we have continued to do service together over the years. And so what I want to give a little pitch for is service. The next time uh, the convention comes to a location in your area, please get involved. And if you want to know everybody at the convention, read, um, become registration chair. I know where you live. <laughs> okay. And there is one announcement that I've been asked to make before I turn it over to Cheryl for more announcements and to introduce our speaker, is that the hotel has a one o'clock check out for us. If you need to stay past 1 o'clock, you can store your luggage in Cajon Peak Room um, across the hall from here. If you, Yes, ma'am? Oh, I'm sorry. Those regular people, you have to leave at noon. The people on the committee, whom I can guarantee to you are very irregular, get to have their luggage in the... Um, Cajon Peak, thank you. Oh, dead, brain dead. Okay. Cheryl, are you ready to take over? No. Oh. Does this mean I have to stretch? Oh, she is coming. Okay. Thank you. I get to go back to my breakfast. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Are you guys having a great time? I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Okay, let me see what I need to do. Well, Anita made, or Anita, geez. Um, Ida made the announcement. Can you hear me? Ooh, I don't need, I don't think the microphone is on, but I have a, it is? I have a big mouth, so. Okay. What? <laughs> okay. This is the moment that you've all been waiting for. It is with great pleasure that I introduce our speaker for this, even, uh, this breakfast event, and that is Helen from 310. What? 562 area code, and she'll tell you where that's at.
Good morning. Um, it's really good to be here. My name's Helen, and I'm from Long Beach, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank the committee for asking me to come and... Oh, I thought it was. No? Can you hear me now? Okay. Okay. So, um, see, I have to bend over to... Okay, um, anyway, I, I'm Helen, compulsive overeater. Um, thank, I want to thank the committee for asking me to come and speak today. It's a really great honor. And um, I just want to say, you know, first that I love Overeaters Anonymous. I really do. It's, uh, it's given me a life that I never had, and it's allowed me to live my life, um, you know, without being... Uh, morbidly obese. I'm, I've been abstaining through the grace of God um, for a little over 12 years and maintaining a 100-pound weight loss. And that is all, um, that is all the grace of God. And, um, and God works through this program. Um, so I was finding I was a little nervous this morning, so I thought, well, I'm going to start talking and then I'll wait for God to, you know, kick in. So... Um, anyway, I'm going to take my shoes off because then I can speak in the microphone a little easier. <laughs> um, anyway, so I have um, always been a compulsive overeater from my earliest memory. Um, the two things I remember from my childhood the most is fear. I was fear-based child from my earliest memory, and I also had the obsession with the food from my earliest memory, primarily sugar. And um, I couldn't get enough sugar, and uh, I was always trying to figure out how to get more. And it was all about, like I said, all about the sugar. My earliest memory was uh, with that was in kindergarten and being obsessed with the treat that, the, you know, every day a different mother would bring a treat, and your mother give you, gave me a nickel, you know, a nickel for the milk, and then uh, somebody would bring a treat. And being obsessed with what the treat was. And I can still, in my mind today, picture the day when one of the mothers brought something I didn't like. And, it, I, and the, only thing, the only thing I remember I didn't like that with regard to sugar were, was coconut. And she brought those snowballs. And I remember being absolutely devastated. I mean, angry. And it ruined my day at five years in kindergarten. You know, and um, so, yeah, so I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, so it just, you know, kind of continued, and it was always a war with my parents trying to get me to eat um, regular food. And I didn't want to eat regular food. I just wanted the sugar. And, like, my food, I didn't like food that touched. You know, if it had weird things around my food, if it touched, I wouldn't, didn't want to eat it. And But, but um but it was a big battle there. Anyway, so um, so as I said, it just continued. And I would eat so much as a child that um, I'd make myself physically sick. Not that I wanted to make myself. I've never been bulimic. I mean, I never wanted to make myself physically sick. But I would just continue eating until, you know, don't they say dogs do that? Eat until, They'll eat until they die or something. They'll burst, you know. Well, you know, I'm sure I would have done that too. But... Um, but anyway, so that's what I did, and um, 
So it just, like I said, progressed. It's a progressive disease. And, um, and so I, um, as a teenager, continued with that. And I'm a recovering alcoholic, too, so I started drinking at 14. So I, that was how I got through life was eating compulsively and, you know, and then that. And then, um, so, um, and, and I was, like, notorious among my friends because how much I ate. But I was very skinny because I was, you know, growing and tall, as you can see. So, but, um, and I wasn't a fat child. And I think that's because my parents still had um, control over how much I ate, you know. And, um, and my parents were not compulsive overeaters. And, um my mother was a stay-at-home mom, and she made three healthy meals a day. And so, you know, I had nothing to do with um, my parents. I just was a compulsive overeater. It was the way I got through life. It was something I found, I don't know why, um, to help me get through life. And the great thing, when I got to Overeaters Anonymous this last time, that I discovered was it didn't matter. It didn't matter why I'm a compulsive overeater or it didn't even matter why I ate because I got to get here and get this program and I got to abstain from compulsive overeating because my whole life I was trying to figure it out. You know, I spent so much money and so much time trying to figure it out through therapy. I read every book, you know, all that. And I didn't understand why I couldn't stop eating. I didn't understand. And um, and so so that was a huge gift when I got here, and I was so grateful. But I just know that I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, and that was progressive also. As a child, I didn't. I never felt enough. I was never enough. And... Um, and that continued, like I said, especially as a teenager, it wasn't enough. I wasn't enough. And um, and I'd look at those other girls in school who seemed to feel comfortable, that thing about comparing our insides with their outsides. I did that. And they could get up in front of a, the school and speak or do, you know, whatever they were doing. And I would look at them and I couldn't understand. How did they get that way? How are they like they are, and how am I like I am? I felt like a freak. You know, I felt just everything, not enough. I felt, um, you know, ugly, stupid, just bad, bad inside now. And, um, and so I was just trying to be enough, to feel enough. So I did, you know, these things, like I said, with the food and the other addictions that I have, just to feel, try to feel comfortable in my own skin. So, um, so anyway, uh, like I said, it just, it's a progressive disease. So I, um, my father died when I was 18 and then, and then when I was 19, I married a much older man. Um, so, you know, that was very kind of Freudian there. And so I married this older man so he'd take care of me and I wasn't, wouldn't have to grow up. And, um, Right away, I had the obsession with my weight. You know, my body was never okay. And so I um, got married, and I married a man who, um, it's just, you know, God has a sense of humor because 
he had like this great aversion to body fat and you know was obsessed with thin you know and I wasn't fat yet I I was weighed less than I do now but in my head I was fat and I kept saying oh I'm fat I'm fat so he said well you know he wasn't a compulsive overeater so he said well then why don't you go on a diet if you think you're fat so I did I went on that I can't remember what it was pregnant women's urine whatever that is yeah and it was like very expensive and you ate 500 calories a day and I did that and I lost like 20 pounds and I stayed that way and people laugh when I say this but for an afternoon because but it's true because the minute I went off that diet you know and the insanity that we're gonna stop we're gonna go back to eating after a diet how we used to eat and not gain the weight back it was a disconnect I didn't get that I thought that um, that you know I wasn't going to gain all that weight back so of course I started gaining so that is the point where I started the cycle that we hear over and over in these rooms of the um, dieting and then um, uh, you know going off the diet gaining 10 pounds you know gaining all the weight back in 10 and then it just progressed from there then I'd go on the next diet and I'd gain, I'd gain all my weight back and 20 pounds. And then, you know, and I ended up, uh, well, around 1980, I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting and I was, I first heard about OA in the 70s and I heard it was free. And I thought, well, that's not going to work because I thought if it's free, I won't tell you what I really said because I'm being taped, but, um, but I thought if, if it was free and it worked, everybody would be doing it, right? Everybody would be thin, you know what I mean? Nobody would have a weight problem if there was some free thing out there that worked. Well, the great irony is it is, you know what I mean? And um, anyway, so I, uh, but I did finally go and um, I went on and off. I went for about two years. And it was the only time in my adult life that I abstained from sugar. Um, and I maintained a weight. I was still overweight, but I stayed at a weight, which was a miracle, for two years. And then, of course, what happened was it was Christmas time. Somebody offered me a box, beautiful box of chocolates, and I had not worked the program. I hadn't worked the program. What I'd done was abstain from sugar, but I didn't work the steps. I didn't, I quit going to meetings. I didn't do all the things that we have to do, that I have to do to be here and be abstinent. And so, of course, the only way that I can refrain from compulsive overeating is to have this program, is the program of Overeaters Anonymous, which when I walked through the doors, they handed me the book with all the answers in it, you know, and where do you get that than here? So anyway, so so it's either eating or it's working the program. Well, I wasn't working the program, so my solution for life was I had to stop start eating again and that is my solution my solution is to eat myself to death you know because I can't deal with life I've never had the tools there's normal people out there that have tools that they know how to live through life they know how to get through a day and I never had that 
And I remember looking at other people, other women who were wives and mothers, and they were wonderful mothers, wonderful wives, wonderful daughters. I didn't know how they did all that. And I'd watch them and I'd think, how do they know how to do that? Because I never knew how to do any of that. I didn't know. I had no plan for living, no answers. And um, I was always looking for that. And I walked in these doors this last time, and I got that. I got a plan for living today, that I don't have to live my life binging my brains out. I don't have to live my life on the couch with the remote control in my hands, you know, and the drapes drawn, eating by myself, not buying clothes, and living in you know, stretched out, faded, bleach-stained clothes because I don't want to go buy clothes because I'm so fat. And um, anyway, so, and I remember the first time trying to read the big book back in like 1980. And I remembered, yeah, thinking, what is that? You know, it was not, it was dead old. It would be like, if somebody handed me a textbook, a school, a third grade textbook from like 1950, you know, it just seemed old and dried out. I'm sorry, but it did. And I thought, what is this? You know, what, war fever ran high in a New England town. Yeah. Thinking, thinking, what does that have to do with compulsive overeating and helping me to live my uh, stop eating compulsively and today today that's my bible every doesn't matter i pick it up and it's the voice of god speaking to me it is the voice of god and it does have all the answers i'm not saying that we don't sometimes need outside help for some things but you know what that it's got all the principles um for life today and um So I, like I said, I was, you know, struggling uh, with my weight through my life. And in my, um, by the time I was in my 30s and early 40s, I couldn't go on diets anymore because when I think about going on a diet, all I did was um, I'd have to start binging. I would have to start binging because the thought of not being able to eat food was too overwhelming. I knew I'm not going to be able to live and not eat. I knew. So I'd have to start binging. I would say, okay, well, this will be my last binge before I start my diet. And I gained 10 pounds. And I was scared to death. And I thought, I was hopeless. I thought, I'm going to live my life 100 pounds overweight. And who knows where I would have ended up. I was speaking to somebody uh, here at the breakfast who was telling me about a man who was 600 and some pounds overweight and at one of her meetings and I said that's all of us I mean I could be that person you know and normal people when I tell them that they say oh no you would have never gotten that fat oh yeah you know because they don't understand and why should they but um, but anyway so finally in uh, 1990. Well, actually, 1994, I got a divorce. My daughter and I moved to Long Beach. And um, and one of the first things I did was I found out where um, the Overeaters Anonymous meetings were in Long Beach. And it was there at the VA hospital. 
And like I said, my life was completely unmanageable. I was going through a divorce. I didn't have a job. I was binging all the time. And like I said, with the drapes drawn, the remote control, you know, couldn't stop shoving food down my throat. I couldn't stop eating on my own. So, um, so anyway, so I went to the, I started going around 95 to that meeting. And once in a while I'd ask somebody to sponsor me who I knew wasn't really going to insist that I get abstinent, you know. They weren't going to, like, make me really get a food plan. And that's what I would do. And then um, finally, through the grace of God, totally and completely the grace of God, um, I um, asked this woman. I'd seen this woman. And she was the only one I'd seen in this meeting losing weight over the course of maybe four or five months. Um, and um, so finally, I asked her to if she would sponsor me. And I was afraid of her, but it was the grace of God that surrendered me. My surrender to this program is, is the grace of God, because if I could have done it sooner, um, I would have done it sooner, you know, but I couldn't. Um, and so I asked her, would she sponsor me? And she said, sure. And she said, what's your food plan going to be? And I said, and this really is God, because I said, I don't know, what do you eat? And I, and she told me what she ate, and I ate what she ate. I ate what she ate. And that was a miracle, because um, I was always, you know, wanting to do everything my way. So I just have to say, you know, if our ideas were working, talks about those old ideas in the big book, you know, then I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd be somewhere else doing something else. But my ideas don't work. So I was surrendered through the grace of God to do, to surrender myself to her and to her food plan. And so I did that. And she told me to call her every day. At the same time, and I uh, forget the food plan. I just thought, I'm not going to be able to call somebody every day at the same time. You know, that was the mir the first miracle. And I did. And I called my food in to my sponsor for about the first seven years. And um, and so that's what I did. And, um, and I did what she told me to do, and you know, which was go to three meetings a week and be of service and... And I can remember telling her, oh, I remember in that first 30 days, you know, the writing stuff. And um, and it talked about selfishness. And I can remember saying to her, oh, no, I'm not selfish. I put everybody before, uh, you know, before me. That's my whole problem. And she said to me, more will be revealed. <laughs> and, um, and it has, you know, and I have seen that, just like it talks about in the big book, selfishness, self-centeredness, you know, is that's who we are. And all those things it talks about in the big book, who we are. And that was a huge gift, to get that, that I don't have to fight it. Because I went through life trying to make, trying to be perfect. I thought I was supposed to be perfect. And trying to make everybody think I was perfect. What a burden. No wonder I had to eat and drink and all the other addictions I had, you know. Because it's too much. We can't do, how do you live like that, you know? And so what I got was that I got here and I got to do my inventory, which I've done many, and I get to admit 
that I have character defects, and I get to look at my character defects, and I know what my character defects are. Well, I'm sure there are some that I still haven't seen, because more is constantly revealed, you know, to me. And um, But I know what the big ones are. Primarily pride is, like, you know, huge for me, and sloth, and, you know, all those. And I use the seven deadly sins. I love those. And, um, and so anyway, so that was a gift that today... I don't have to be perfect, you know. We're trudging the, the road of happy destiny here, and um, and I don't have to be perfect, and I can admit that I have, you know, what my character defects are, and that is a relief. And then I got a relationship with my higher power in this program. I got here, and I um, I uh, was raised Catholic, but I've never had a connection you know, with my higher power. I never felt God working in my life personally. And I, you know, I didn't know that he was working in people's lives, you know, personally. So, um, and God has, I mean, I have been transformed in every way, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Um, And it's, you know, the grace, like I said, the grace of God. And um, so anyway, so today I do, I have that relationship with my higher power. I see God working in my life and in other people's lives every day, every day. And I still forget about God, you know, especially at work. You know, I can forget about God and I have to constantly be reminded. Um, It was great. I was having a conversation with somebody at the table and um, and, and just seeing God working in her life in so many ways, and I love that. And so I'm, that's why, you know, I obviously have to keep coming back, you know, because I do. I forget, so I call my sponsor a lot. And, you know, it's funny because um, my sponsor and I were talking because I was telling her, gee, I'm kind of nervous this morning. And she said, yeah. She said, only in OA do, you know, do you, they make you public speaker. I said, yeah, I didn't come here. I came here to lose weight, not to uh, be a public speaker. But <laughs> but anyway, but um, and the other thing is, it was funny because when I was new, I wouldn't share in a meeting and um, and um, because I felt like I was going to cry and I was so, I thought I was shy, but I found out I was self-centered, you know. And so, it's, you know, really. And so, um, so, and I told my sponsor, and I thought to myself, I didn't, before I even told her, I thought, okay, I'll go and I'll do everything else they tell me to do, but I'm not going to talk, you know. And um, and um, then, of course, you know, I had to go and talk, and um, and my sponsor said, and then you never shut up. But, no, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I have to... Um, and, and, you know, and the thing is, it, it, I learned that, like I said, I was self-centered. My sponsor said, oh, you know what? They're all thinking about themselves anyway. And they're not even thinking about you and what you're saying. Except then people would start coming up to me like three years later and say, you know, I heard you say something three years ago. And it really stuck in my mind. And they'll tell me what I said. And I thought, I never said that. Or I think I never said that. So, you know, it's all God. It really is. So, um, how much time do I have? I, where, where is Violet? Okay, good. All right. So, 
let's see, what else do I want to share about? Um, so I, um, as I said, I have, well, I have a daughter. My daughter um, is coming to visit me this week. And, you know, the uh, having an only child, the focus of my complete and utter insanity was focused on this child. And um, I didn't get abstinent until she was 20. And, um, and um, she's going to be 33 on Friday. And I think, how can I be that old that I have a 33-year-old daughter? But, um, and she's great. My daughter really is. She's a um, responsible member of society. You know, it's really amazing. And she just, you know, I think she did it despite, you know, the kind of parenting that she had. So, um so the resilience of the human condition, you know. But um, so anyway, I have made my amends to my daughter, and my amends to my daughter is that I mind my own business completely. You know, she calls me up and tells me something, and I just say, "That's great, honey." You know, whatever. No judgments. I don't judge anything. I just say, "That's great. You're great." You know. So um, and then it's just this program, like I said. Everything in my life today that works, works as a result of the principles of this program. And if it's not working, it's because I'm not working the principles of these programs. And the first, of this program, and the first place I started working these principles really was in the workplace. And um, I got, I started working for the company that I work for now. The same, uh, let's see, about a month after I got abstinent. And um, I spent the first year, I remember, in the bathroom praying all day long. I'd go in there all the time and pray because I didn't know how to get through the day. And my sponsor told me, just go to work, show up, keep, you know, shut up, and do what they tell you to do and see where you can be of service to God and those around you. And so I do go in every day, and I used to, like, be worried, you know, all the plans and schemes and plans and designs it talks about in the big book, and that's how I got through the workday was trying to spin it so that people would think about me like I wanted them to think about me, you know what I mean? And that's how I got through the day. And um, so when I got started working here and I had this program, what I learned that I could do was to show up for work and actually do my job to the best of my ability. What a concept, you know? <laughs> and then I didn't have to worry about all that stuff. And, and I didn't have to, and that was where I started to trust God. You know, that was where I started to trust God that God was taking care of what everybody was thinking about me. And all I had to do, keep my side of the street clean and show up and do my job to the best of my ability. What a relief that was. You know, that was huge for me. And um, so I could do that. And like I said, though, I still had to go in the bathroom and pray because I just say, God, you have to get me through this day because I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to act, you know. So um, uh, anyway, so it's just, like I said, been a huge gift. And, and last night somebody was talking about the thing with the trusting God 
in life in general, step three. And for me, too, it was, I can remember, and they were talking about this, and it brought it back because I hadn't remembered this in a long time, was I remember thinking, being afraid to trust God because I thought, what if, what if I... What if he gives me something I don't want? You know, what if? You know, what if what what God's got in my in plan in mind for me isn't what I want, or it's something bad? Or I was very afraid, and so just over time, and and it says, you know, step twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, and I really have had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, and um. That's the only way that I have been able to trust God and let go and trust God. And I don't always do it, and I don't always do it perfectly at work. There's a lot, a lot of stuff going on right now, and I've been forgetting on a regular basis about God. And when I go into a meeting and I pray and I just say, God, I bring God into the meeting with me, it always goes fine. And then the next meeting, that meeting went so well. I forgot that I brought God into that last meeting, and that's why it went so well. So it's a constant. I have to constantly be reminded. So anyway, I, um, you know, I came into these doors for one reason, and that was because I was morbidly obese. I was having physical problems. When I got out of bed in the morning, before I got out of bed, my feet hurt. I had high blood pressure. Um, and I wanted to look good, and I came here to lose weight. And that is why we come, and that's why it is a program of attraction, and we do need to be an attraction. Um, but I got so much more. I got all, I got the answers that I had been looking for my whole life. A, a plan for living. So anyway, I think my time is up, and, um, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Helen. That was great. All right. Way down. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Okay. Let's see. I have nothing to say except uh, is Robert here? Um. Violet, would you like to lead us in the third step prayer? Uh-huh. And just a reminder that their closing is in, which room is the closing in? The Empire Ballroom, where we had the, the grand opening after this meeting, directly after. Ten o'clock. Gone? I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, 
and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. That's it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. What did I? Oh, see. I didn't write it down, so I forgot it. On your table, each one, there's a, one of the chairs at each table has a little sticky on the front of it, and whoever has that chair can have the centerpieces. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. See? It's old-timers. Uh, the, the centerpieces are God boxes, and if you don't know what a God box is, a God box is, you know, when you have anything that concerns you, it's not your business, it's God's business, so you write it on a piece of paper. And we'll do that at the closing. And we put it, uh, put it in the, the God box, forget about it, and you'll be amazed later when you go back and look it's been taken care of okay and so you can whoever has that can do whatever they want with those boxes and yeah we're done what time is it okay no that's at the closing at 10 o'clock no it was at the closing at the closing. Okay, and we need to, you guys, I don't want to hurry you, but they have another meeting in this room at 930. So you're going to need to vacate.